Hello and welcome to Cage Fighting. It's your main man, Andy Gillard here, sweating his taters off. Hope you're all keeping well right now. The bitch is back. Mad guy here. Greetings and salutations. I didn't think you'd be your the new and all that kind of stuff with the your the Highland coup. Exactly. <laughs> Hello everyone. It is been it is rather warm. And it'll probably still be warm when you're listening to this, so it's not gonna age badly. So Matt, it's your first recording back. Obviously last week we had a picture pod. Uh, this is the first time the three of us have recorded since. How was life in the van in the Highlands? It's a very beautiful part of the world, and um, this, the, as often is the case, the further north you get, the hospitality does get warmer if the weather does get colder. 99% of Scots were were fantastic, very friendly, and very welcoming people. The 1% were probably justified that weren't as well. A, because I was drunk singing Football's Coming Home when we won the <laughs> semi-final, and B, I was wearing a wool shirt around all the pool, um, and... <laughs> <laughs> like it's just there was a definitely anti-English vibe about it, but you know it was really really good and uh, nice to nice to do a road trip and um, get some nice photos and see some uh, some animals in the wilderness, IRL. Superb. Uh, obviously, last time out we had our good friend David Evans on to help us through. One of his questions, Matt, I answered on your behalf, and I wanted I know, to know I if I was right. So the question was, what is the best official song from a movie? I guessed that Limp Bizkit from Mission Impossible 2. Am I right, or, or is there another one that you would have gone with? Now, by the way, I want to say, and it was such a great experience to listen to that podcast and not be a part of it and be on the <laughs> other side. And I hope that the people that listen to this do what I was doing. I was, I was almost shouting at the van trying to answer the questions because <laughs> I wish I could have been there to record it to answer the questions but um yes you are right well you are right and you're and you're not in that I didn't know if the question was a song made specifically for the film as opposed to it being a film uh, a song that was lifted off an album mm. so if it's not then yeah take a look around by Limp Biscuit. but if it was then it would have been um I Disappear by Metallica which was also for Mission Impossible 2 I think or um, maybe maybe the third Mission Impossible film. Excellent, but Super. yeah, but you are you pretty much hit the nail on the head there. Also, a completely random off the wall choice would have been uh, Vogue by Madonna. What's that one from? I'm sure it was part of. Well, it was off the soundtrack randomly for Dick Tracy. Oh, of course, because she was in that film. She did a whole album of like these um, gangster style. Bugsy Malone songs, but then randomly, because she needed a single for the album, just mm. fucking put Vogue in there, and it was like a biggest song of that of that decade, I think. Mm. It's weird, like, Madonna is a terrible actor, but she somehow managed to keep going at it. I don't quite get the popularity with that one at she, all. She's the, the Chris Jericho of, of pop, constant <laughs> reimagination, and um, kind of and just a changing... fan of Donald Trump. Yeah, <laughs> changing changing the look and changing the style to suit the kind of times, really. Yeah, was she yeah, one true. of the Austin Powers videos as well? Yeah, for the spy who shagged me, I'm sure she was. Yeah, I can't remember the name of the song, but yeah, she did. Beautiful one. stranger. Um, yeah, that's the one. Yeah. So yeah, she she's done the rounds, but I, I don't I don't get it. It's not for In me. More ways than one. Not for me. <laughs> 
Anyway, on to the news. We're starting off with a bit of Nick news. We've got some good, we've got some bad. First, the good. KG's new film, Pig, has had its premiere and it's been earning some positive reviews. Stick around after the credits have rolled on this podcast and you'll hear our short spoiler-free reviews. Uh, we'll be doing a full picture pod somewhere down the line once it's been released globally. At the moment, it's still only in certain areas. <clears throat> now, sadly... <laughs> certain areas of the high seas, in my case, if you understand <laughs> that reference. Yeah. Um, the bad news, though. Nick Cage's Tiger King series has been canned by Prime. Cage believes that Prime feel that it's too much time has passed since the original series dropped and there's just no appetite left for it. Um, it's believed that it will be shopped around to other networks, however, it's not known whether Cage will still be part of the series. I suppose the difficulty is, if it goes to network TV, they're not going to have the mega books needed to pull in someone like Nick Cage, mm. especially when you've got the Kate McKinnon comedy version that's going ahead for NBC's Peacock streaming service. Like Looking at his schedule, Cage isn't going to be wanting for work anyway. But I was really looking forward to seeing his the, the madman's take on an absolute madman. So I, I'm a little bit disappointed it's not going to be going ahead. But what are your you fellas' uh, thoughts on this one? I don't really care to be honest. It's it's very much is right a last year's news. It it was the um, mm. the symbol of lockdown one, and I mean un, until until he dies, which I mean the guy's probably immortal as well as mental. So I don't really see the point <laughs> in it anyway. I just I, n- I never got it. It was it would have been funny to see, but I never understood it at all. Matt, what what are your thoughts on this news? I do. Yeah, I think time has passed, and we you know we are in this generation where something becomes something will trend, be massive for a week or two, and then we just move on to the next thing. And it's a shame, really, because you know. Uh, we're in this stage of Nick Cage's career where he's taking on these really outlandish roles, but not what seemingly feels like for pure indulgence for himself, like something he can just get his teeth into. He enjoys as a project. And Mm. I think he'd really enjoy this project. And we would see, we would reap the benefits of that, you know, a motivated Nick Cage wanting to do something and really explore the darker side of the Tiger King. But Mm. alas, you can't always get what you want. No, very true. Speaking of things which are over now, the People's Champion, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, has said he is done with the Fast and Furious film franchise. I'll be honest, after the last film, Rocky's return was literally the only thing I was holding out any hope for with the future stuff. Like, he saved those films from being utter dog shit. So, Stu, are you as annoyed at this news as I am? Yeah, I still don't kind of... 100% believe it because mm-hmm. he could be done with the main the main series but Hobbs and Shaw 2 would he would he really rule that out with the amount of money they could dangle in front of him I know he seems to have a film every three weeks now and there's what the new one out I saw on the side of a bus today no yeah. idea what it is but I'm going to watch it anyway so he's yeah exactly drawing, work drawing up for him is he so oh, I can't see him in Fast 10 this they didn't get on anyway, did they? So what's the point? Yeah. yeah. But Hobbs and Shaw, I can quite easily see that happening again further down the line. Mm. And I think as well, he doesn't particularly get on well with Cena, if rumours are to be believed. So I suppose he might feel like the odd one out on that set, 
Although he is good mates now with the Stath, so I would be quite happy if they just did films just of those pair going forward, to be honest. Speaking of the man, The Rock, he has wrapped up filming on Black Adam. He has claimed it to be a true honour to have appeared in that film. In other DC news, though, Christopher Nolan has recently been heaping praise on Zack Snyder's Justice League. But he did say that Joss Whedon's Justice League was the worst comic book adaptation ever. I mean, like it's not good, obviously, but is it is it the worst film ever in the comic book franchises? Matt, it's got to be worse than Justice League. Yeah. I mean, shit, but I think there's there's definitely worse because I'm struggling to think though. But there's definitely worse because it's not it's not. I don't know. It's just, this this worse out there. You know, I think the the, the mistake or the, or the error or the, the thing that the, that version of Justice League will always have is that Marvel. Marvel got it with Avengers and that it all came together and that scene where they're fucking going around New York and that's mm. amazing and goosebumping and this had the potential to be that and it wasn't if there wasn't as much hype around it the end result it would have just been okay but because it was hyped up so much I think people think it's worse than it is because of the hype surrounding it and I think that yeah. doesn't do it any favors um but you know there are there are like superhero movies out there that you know well, things that aren't up my street like Shazam what have you? Shazam um, was really good, though. Like it, 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 it? worked. Yeah, I, I was because it was pitched very much at a more family-friendly yeah. audience. Yeah, it true. knew the the market it was aiming for. It didn't try to be a, a master of uh, no, a, a jack of all trades and a master of none. It, it knew where it was aiming. Whereas I think that was Justice League's problem was it tried to be everything to everyone and failed. Well, I think we're going to talk a little later on about a contender for the throne of the worst film anyway. So I'll right. leave it at that. Yeah. Okay. Stu, so let me throw some films at you. Spider-Man 3, X-Men The Last Stand, Iron Man 2, Hulk, Constantine, The New Mutants. These films are worse than Justice League. Joss Whedon's cut, surely. I haven't seen New Mutants because I've... I... I was fully burnt out on that nonsense after Dark Phoenix, which is <laughs> in itself worse than that. So, case yeah, in point. I, I'd forgotten I mean, about that. The thing is, Wins Justice League is not even the worst film in its own its own cinematic universe because you got <laughs> Suicide Squad, which is wank. So, that is a very good point. I, I've got no clue where he's coming from at all. No, no, same. Also within the DCEU, there's been a bit of dueling info over the last couple of days. And by the time the pod drops, we might actually have a bit of clarity. But there's either a shortlist for Batgirl or they've cast Batgirl. So the shortlist is Isabella Masud. Uh, she's from Transformers Last Night and Dora the Explorer. Zoe Deutsch from Zombieland Double Tap. Heidi Lou Richardson from Split and Edge of Seventeen. And Leslie Grace, who was in In the Heights. Alternatively, the report suggesting that Leslie Grace has actually been cast as Batgirl. She was really good in In the Heights, and I imagine that the choreography she's learned in for that will put her in good stead when she's coming to do some of the more action-y so side of Batgirl. So I'm quite intrigued to see where they're going. But going with a Latina in the role, I'm, I always assumed it was going to be Barbara Gordon. 
But we don't quite know that now because in the Robert Battinson world, it's Jeffrey Wright as Jim Gordon. And if she's playing his daughter, mm. how's he going to... So I'm genuinely quite intrigued to see which version of Batgirl they're going for, which universe it's going to be in, and just to see where it all goes. I'm, I'm quite excited with this one. It's going straight to HBO Max. It's one of the series that has been greenlit for direct to their streaming service. If we go across the aisle now to the other side of the comic book world. So theatre owners are blaming Disney Plus on the bottom falling out of Black Widow. It opened to a record-breaking $160 million in the cinemas and $60 million on Disney Plus. And then the following week, it just died, basically. It was no longer earning all the money. And I think that actually it wasn't even the top grossing film. So the cinemas are saying that Disney Plus have now stolen all of their views. Is it too early to tell in the streaming cinema battle where it's going? Have they got a point? Are Disney stealing their their views? Or is it a case of, actually, people saw Black Widow, it didn't get particularly great reviews, and people don't want to go to the cinema? We're still in that period of the world where things are slowly going back to normal-ish, maybe. And we just don't know where we are. Plus, it is hotter than hell out there. So people maybe don't want to be going into a cinema. Is it too soon to tell, though? Or is it just cinema owners being pissy over nothing? <laughs> yeah, I think it is. Um, ironically, going to the cinema is probably the, the coolest place you could possibly be <laughs> at the minute. Um, yeah, good point. Somewhere with aircon that works. But yeah, I think it's, it is a good point, though, with the amount of people... So- like ter- sitting around terrified, still people today walking around in what is it, 30 degrees today, walking around outside with masks on. And uh, if, these, if this is the normal folk and the people, other than, I mean, you got the, the Marvel diehards and you who like to punish yourself, go to watch it at the cinema straight away. But you, I don't think you're going to get the, the, the usual casual audience because they're still all. They're not committed to it, are they? And if they can stay at home and watch it at home, pay a bit of money at home, however much it was, then in the current situation, then they'll do that. So hmm. I, th- I just think it's a it's a bit of everything rather than just blaming it on Disney Plus, really. Yeah. And obviously, Matt, this last week, the latest Space Jam movies dropped. So Space Jam has take, overtaken Black Widow us, mm-hmm. the, the highest earner. So is it just a case of people have moved on to the next big movie yeah potentially i think when it comes to the war between streaming and cinema um there has to be like we've mentioned before cinema it's adapt or die now at this point mm-hmm. um there's gonna have to be more focused on musical events there's gonna have to be more focused on festivals it wouldn't surprise me in in a year or two's time that you can buy a cinema pass for a festival 12 hour coverage, 8 hour coverage of a festival live in a cinema I think it's a great idea personally because um, cinemas are going to have to adapt, they're going to have to do more around the 6 weeks holidays, not kids clubs but doing things like that there's one sole benefit to the cinemas being in the state that they are and that's for special need requirement groups Mm -hmm. so they they can they can do more kind of uh, showings for autistic people or for those with um, hearing, you know, impairments and stuff like that, because cinemas aren't rammed 24 seven. It's not like it's 
going to be burning a hole in their pocket to have a, a like taking a screening out of and i mean this in the nicest way possible a, a quote-unquote normal showing um they, they you know there's an appetite there and there's a responsibility there for cinemas to be able to be more inclusive and they're going to have to be they're going to have to do everything in in its power to to cater for more and i know we've had this conversation before andy that you you know the idea of ordering food and drink in the cinema is what is one that horrifies you but it is unfortunately going to have to be the future if cinemas are to survive personally mm. yeah it's going to become a, an experience isn't it and yeah. like I said, I, they do need to try and cater to more people than just me I, I do get that yeah you are right so clerks 3 has been acquired by lionsgate and it is due to start shooting almost immediately so within a couple of weeks in august in fact they're going to be shooting the third film i thought that smith may have been done with the whole clerks world we'd had reports of a mall rats movie and he was going to be doing a tv show about ice hockey and this that and everything but it turns out clerks 3 is what's bringing him back to the view ask universe is clerks 3 the sequel you'd want is there another of his films that you'd rather see get a sequel Mm. See the the clerks, more rats, dog dogmas. This universe, isn't it as well? It or is, it's yeah. in that that period. It was just a bit too. It was just a bit before my time. So I've watched mm. it. I've watched it. It's not like the Goonies, and you had to be there, and it's a very generational thing. But I just think that if you never saw it in its pomp, um, and you know what, I tell you what, as well, it, it, with clerks in that world. That was always there'd always be some kid in school that had watched it and were like harping on about it, and you just you're just at that age, 12, 13, 14, where you don't want to like anything that anybody else likes. So that's why like, I never watched Friends until dead late or I didn't like the things that everybody else liked just because I wanted to be that twat, basically. <laughs> and um, this fell into that category. So it wasn't until like I went to uni and I, and I watched it really. And by that point, they say, they say that the years 16 through to... No, that's not right. I think they say that from about 12 to about your 20s or something is that that period of time will be the peak of your interest. And if anything doesn't fall in that time period, or you'll, you'll never feel as strongly about it as you do to, any, to, 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 to anything else. And it just never fell in that time period. Mm. So I just I don't feel that strongly towards it. Though, wasn't Jericho in Silent Bob? He was, yeah. Or something, yeah, was. he was in um, the... Jane Silent Bob reboot because he's friends with Kevin Smith. Mm -hmm. They're podcast buddies. So, yeah. Stu, please tell me that you've at least seen the uh, the View Ask Universe films. Yeah, but again, other than the, I watched the original Clerks last year because for that reason I hadn't seen them since I was what however old, fifteen maybe sixteen mm. something like that. So it had been a long time. So I went back and it's great. Of course it is, but. Oh, one that no one ever talks about? Cop out? Like, I've read Kevin Smith's book where he discusses cop out and what an absolute fucking nightmare it was to film because Bruce Willis was such a cunt. <laughs> so he's got nothing but good things to say about Tracy Morgan because he said Tracy Morgan made that film what it was. Like, if it wasn't for him, he'd have shot himself in the head. It was an awful experience. But Tracy Morgan, I, I would watch him in anything. I just love that dude. But he was, he was almost playing himself in that Bruce Willis in that film, just being a miserable bastard. Yeah. <laughs> so utterly just devoid of interest, wasn't he? Yeah, as he has been in the last twenty years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so finally, 
we will move to a story of another franchise which is coming back. Jackass Forever trailer has recently dropped. It appears that most of the old cast are back as well, which is great to see. So as well as Knoxville, Steve-O and the gang, they're also bringing with them a cage fighting favourite, director of adaptation Spike Jones, actor Eric Andre, musicians Post Malone, Tyler the Creator and wrestler Darby Allen are all going to be partaking in the stunts. Jackass very much hits a, a moment in history, like in the early aughts. We've very much moved on from Jackass and Dirty Sanchez and those kind of comedies. Is the world in a place where this is going to fail or is there a market for this type of humour still? Oh, there's a, there's mar- a market. Yeah, <laughs> there's a market from me. <laughs> um, it's made for us. It's not made for any, for new people, is it? Let's be honest. So absolutely it's, right. It's but again, look how how well Tony Hawk Pro Skater One and Two sold in the remake of mm. a, a old PS One game. And it sold shitloads. Though it's like it's like that kind of early aughts nostalgia again. That's now a thing, shockingly. But yeah, Jackass was incredible. And it's depressing, isn't you, it? You only have to look at it now. Every every Sunday, Superhuman doing his. his he jumps off his trampoline just once a week, hurting himself. <laughs> yeah. And it's class. Yeah. Because he's, like he's, he's an idiot. Yeah. And it's, that's what it is. It's, like, it's, it's one of the few accounts that I actually have notifications on. Because as soon as something comes up, it's just like, straight away. Matt, obviously you're a little bit younger than us. So I'm guessing you would have probably still been in school when they sit. So I'm guessing Jackass must have been massive for mm. kids of your age. The kids of my age, Christ. It was <laughs> no, it was though, to be fair. It was that Tony Hawk's 2, um, that world CKY. Um, you know, this was a time where you know you'd buy DVDs specifically for people falling off skateboards. Do you know what I mean? This was like <laughs> yeah. I'd go to a skate park with a skateboard, even though I couldn't skate, I could just like move around on it. It was more of like a mode of transport for me than like, uh, you know, something that I could actually do tricks on. <laughs> yeah, this was very much like my wheelhouse, Jackass. And, you know, we would do Jackass ourselves just for shits and giggles and ride trolleys around and fall over and stuff down <laughs> at the, like, in the, like the, the man on the horse and, um, and the metro in town. And we're in a really strange period of time culturally where the, I would say the end of the noughties, all of a sudden it's been frozen in time mm. where that's the last kind of generation creatively before like a lot of things were original uh, original so you've got like reboots of everything from around that time period nightclubs that we go to especially in the rock world are very much just nothing exists post 2009 especially <laughs> in the indie world as well because everybody knows that indie in the 2000s was the absolute peak yeah um and we're just really lucky that actually it's the, 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 the timer seems to have stopped and everything else, even though it might have gone to shit, we'll always just go be able to go back to that and enjoy it. And Stu's absolutely right now on the head. This isn't for young people, quote unquote, this film. This is this is to get people like us watching again. And we absolutely will. Like there's very there's the seldom things I will really look forward to going to the cinema to see. Um, like it's a day one release and this will mm. probably be it. I'll probably go see this on day one and like really enjoy myself. I'll probably get hammered and watch it as well. Just imagine the outrage of the perm that the permanently 
offended when this comes out. And we, we haven't had anything like this for years. And in this age, when you got the yeah, the Guardian guy ruining all our favourite films like Shrek, imagine what he's going to say to this. <laughs> yeah, and it is, it's going to be, it's going to piss a lot of people off, I think, and who are just going to assume it's stupid toilet humour. But I, I, yeah, I'm with Matt. I'll be there day one for this. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. <laughs> but that's the news for this week anyway. Matthew, have we had any listener questions in? We certainly have. So let's go for a friend of the show, Ash Dolan, who legitimately purchased a ticket for the Euros final, I might add. Um, <laughs> he wants to know, or come up with, I should say, a sequel for a film that certainly never needs a sequel. Uh, his suggestion is up to set 10 years in the future. Carl and Doug have just died, and we follow Russell as he processes this loss. <laughs> How grim does that sound? I don't know. <laughs> um, I've, I've got an idea for a sequel. It's actually a sequel to Seven and Forrest Gump. So, yeah, the AIDS baby. Um, what's his name? Forrest. Yes, he's it, Forrest Jr., isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, his mom leaves him to just live with this complete stranger. He ends up resenting him, so he kills Forrest Gump. He grows up to become John Doe, Kevin Spacey, in Seven. So you get a film that is a prequel to Seven and a sequel to Forrest Gump. And you just see him sat on a bench like his dad did. But rather than um, like a box of chocolates, he's just got someone's head in his lap. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. Maybe... um... Maybe it goes right the way back to like General Gump Ford or whatever his name was, and he like gets the Ku Klux Klan pillow out, and it becomes like a racial thing as well. Yeah, the pillowcase from the start. I like it. Mm. I'd love it if that universe existed. If like all of a sudden Forrest Gump and Seven were a thing. <laughs> <laughs> Stu, do you have any um, sequels that aren't needed but you'd like to see? Ex Machina. Straight Ooh, away. Yeah. There's, film, that is. there's so much you could do with it. You could, I mean, considering it's only it's set in, it is only set in that house here. I think. Yeah, it is. So if if you got one one scientist doing that stuff in that place, you could have multiple different ones all over the world. Or you could have a Russian version. You could have. You're not trying to spoil. I mean, you, you presume people listening to this have seen X back in or anyway. But yeah, there's so much to explore with that film. It's just. Shocking that it's been left as a single, as a standalone. Mm. Uh, Andrew Wright wants to know, should tragedy strike the nation and our Prime Minister has to remain in a permanent state of self-isolation, which TV or movie politician would you elect in his place? Stuart. Um, Keep a Sutherland designated survivor because he's done it before. (laughs) <laughs> it's not a bad answer that's not a bad shout yeah I was thinking that the most appropriate one would be Alan Bastard from the New Statesman Rick Mayle's <laughs> character who just plays a horrible shit he wouldn't be uh, you wouldn't particularly notice any different to be honest so I think he would uh, fill the gap <laughs> I like it I like it right so we've got some further questions let's have a quick look see so uh, Todd Dewitt Todd Dewitt uh, for the next weeks, my wife and I will be living in different cities. What movie or TV shows do I need to watch to fill my free time? 
Now, Todd, uh, as far as I'm aware, if you're a new um, subscriber, you get a week of Pornhub Premium for free, my friend. So you might... <laughs> no, I, I, I'm not sure if that is correct. Um, what would you say, um, seeing as he's on his own, he can watch anything he likes um, for fear of judgment or um, repercussion? What uh, what should uh, Todd be watching? See, if it was me, I would probably finally get round to The Sopranos. It would be something that I've mm. put off for so long they're like, I want to go balls deep on this. But at the same time, how many times have I returned to watch It's Always Sunny, Community, The League and Parks and Rec? Like, you go back to your old comforts. And I kind of get why you would do that. So probably I would want to do Sopranos. I would probably do Community. Stu, what should Todd, what should Todd watch now? He's got, he's got freedom for a week or two. Well, the answer is unforgotten. And I'm not going to stop until everyone's seen it. Um, but that might be difficult <laughs> over there. But if you, if it's something that he, he can watch guilt free, then watch Glee from start to finish. Oh, good shout! Another great old time. Mm. Interesting. Matt looks very disapproving. <laughs> mm. Again, this is one of these things. I saw it when it was out, and I, I naturally hated it for the positive, nice thing that it was. So maybe in in retrospect, it might be okay. Uh, right, Sconos is coming home, Matt Cunnington. Which TV show would you like to give a big big screen outing to? Now, I'm going to change his question here. I don't want to see a film version of the TV show that we're watching here, because I think we've probably done that before. What I want to know is I'm going to give you the opportunity to go to the cinema and watch a show on the massive screen. So you, I'm going to let you watch it in IMAX. I'm going to let you watch it in the, whatever sound you want. I'm going to let you watch it in the best possible viewing um, scenario. But it's a TV show, not a film. What do you want to see on the big, big screen? Band of Brothers. Mm, yep, Clash Out. That would be really good, actually. I like, as derided as it became, I do think I'd quite like to have seen the Game of Thrones the last season, especially, mm. on the big screen, to be in that, that community, just to see how everyone would have reacted if it had all been the same, if they'd have enjoyed it or not. Yeah. Because you, you see things in the well. cinema people enjoy, which they don't particularly enjoy when it's you watch it again at home. So oh, I'd quite like to see how that would have gone down. Mm, Mandalorian would be quite would be quite mm. good as well, just from a... For musically, you can really experience the score oh, yes. of it all then in the cinema as well. Um, I think that would be excellent. Yeah, great question. That if, if that wasn't the intention, but if it was, we'll give you all the credit for it. <laughs> uh, and finally, TK wants to know, when do you think Marvel fatigue will set in for most of the population? Finished Loki, and I don't even know my own opinion on it. Like pizza, I could always have it, but lately it seems like it's not even comparable film TV anymore. It's just its own beast. Let him go, go on, first. Go on, and moan and whinge. Um... <laughs> I think this year will be a test because there's some of the mad shit that's going to happen. I, I don't know what half of it is myself. So um, we'll see with Eternals because I'm not really that hopeful for it because especially if if we're still in this hell world um, with, the, with the sky melting and if you cough, you could die, then people are not – you're not going to get average people watching this. Not now. So, Eternals is going to be tricky, if it's just cinema only. 
yeah, I, I'm really looking forward to Eternals because it, it feels like it's the most unique Marvel film that we've got coming for us. Everything else looks like a Marvel film. This one looks a bit different. Um, but for me, like personally, fatigue has set in already, as I've already explained to the pair of you. I've got to the point now where watching half of these, especially with the shows, it feels like I'm having to do homework just to keep up with the main films. And it's just not interesting enough to pull me through. One Division was shit. Loki was just... It was the worst aspects of um, Kill Bill 2, where it was just a lot of talking and no action. And it suffered from that, that it was just too exposition heavy. And I don't like to feel like I've got homework to do in order to keep up with the film series. We are now... How many films in, Stu? 24. 30? 24 films in. And it's just unbelievable. If they'd have ended it at the end of Endgame, I do think that we could have been okay. I'm not saying end it completely, but just give it a five-year break, go again, and see where we are. But it does feel very much like fatigue has set in. And I think the the COVID break has really sort of ramped that up personally. Mm-hmm. But I'll just, before we go, is how wrong he is again on, on Loki. I, thought, <laughs> the other, I really enjoyed Loki. I didn't enjoy WandaVision because it was shit. Um, Falcon and Winter Soldier was very Marvel by numbers. But Loki I did really enjoy because I, for that reason, it was different. To, it wasn't just explosions and the usual things that you expect. So, I don't know. There was something about Loki that... It was the one that grabbed my attention more out of the three of them. And <laughs> Black Widow, though, <sighs> yeah. I It's the first one that I didn't overly enjoy at all. And there were still fun parts in it, but not un- unnecessary. Mm. I, th- I think for casual clients like myself, um, it just there's there's a line in Peep Show that this reminds me of how I feel about Marvel at the moment. And Jez in one of his episodes says, "I think I've realised that since nine eleven, I've really just been bored." <laughs> and what I mean by that is, um, <laughs> since Endgame, I've really lost not lost interest, but it was felt like such an end of a phase and such a such a build up, and then that's the end that it's hard to get motivated to get back in that world again like i watched far from home really late in like i think i messaged you guys when i watched it i only watched it in june mm-hmm. and i really enjoyed that and i thought oh man this is going to kick start me back off into like really enjoying and then like the mixed reviews on uh, one division and then the mixed reviews on loki and i don't feel like i can commit 10 hours of, of my life to something i'm not that passionate about that isn't really shit reality TV that I like watching purely for punishment. Um, so I think I need something to really kickstart my interest in this again. Like, I don't know what that, that would be though. That's the problem. I think if they, if they, I know that we've panned, not panned, but said that it's been given an unfair treatment recently. But I think if we saw uh, a clip at a, uh, a convention or something of, of X-Men finally debuting or, or, or interacting, then I'd, that would pique my interest, I think. Mm. But it's, I think it's been hard after Endgame to get excited again, I think. Yeah, it feels like it's treading water somewhat, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Well, they did that thing with uh, Deadpool and... Um, what's his face? Korg. 
Yeah, they did that recently, didn't they? Yeah, quite enjoyed um, that. Which was quite fun to have like that crossover. Yeah. But it's Ryan Reynolds, isn't it? And let's be honest, we all love Ryan Reynolds. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's it for the uh, listener questions this week. As always, you uh, put them in. We will answer them. Really appreciate you guys getting in touch as always. And uh, tell your friends and get them to answer the big questions in film that they need answering. Lovely stuff. Thank you very much. Uh, we'll move on to Hot Take Corner. So I was scouring the internet looking for some unpopular opinions. And, I mean, I found some real shitters, like someone saying that Into the Spider-Verse is the worst Spider-Man film. <laughs> like, that doesn't even make sense. Um, but I found one who said that Batman and Robin is the most underrated and undeservedly hated film of the franchise. Are there any worse films in the Batman universe than Batman and Robin? Stu? Depends what... It... Is it class, clashing the, the franchises then for, or Batman in general? Because if it's just them four, then undoubtedly it is the worst one. Yeah. There's no question. It's not even like a, a close race, is it? Even if it's all of the Batman films ever made, can, I can't think of many worse than Batman and Robin. No. There's not even 66. <laughs> Batman 66 is a better film than that. And that's that's a, a parody. It knows exactly what it is. Yeah. Like everyone knows what it is. Um even shark repellent bat spray couldn't save Batman and Robin. <laughs> it's just it's just terrible, and it killed everything. It was that bad. So I mean, I know it's got this kind of resurgence of people kind of liking it ironically, but liking it ironically is not underrated. It's just being weird. Yeah, Matt is the film so good it's bad, or so bad it's good even, or is it just shit? No, it's it, it, it is just shit. Now I, I listened to um, a podcast called um, Sixty Songs that explain the nineties. Absolutely love this podcast. Very much like sets the cultural landscape of where things are. And this week's episode is based on Limp Biscuit's um, Nucky. Mm. Now he talks about Limp Biscuit being um, the the real Y two K virus, like the thing that <laughs> killed the nine. The, the thing that killed the nineties was Limp Biscuit, basically. Okay. Uh, for good or worse, he uses a great expression. Rob, I think it's Rob Farvella is, is the guy's name. He says, I'm not sure about Limp Bizkit, whether they are the symptom, the disease, or the cure for like music. And he's absolutely right. Now, when I take this back to um, this film, this film to me just, is just everything that's bad about the 90s in one film. Mm. It just looks... It just looks like it's smack bang out of the 90s. It, the, the people that are in it the tone of it it just feels like ugh, it just it's just horrible a horrible horrible mess um and like Stu said it, 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 i don't think you know the earlier iterations in in these four i'm not sure if they were cool like the nolan trilogy were cool no, but they certainly weren't bad and cheesy for the wrong reasons like this like keaton's batman is cheesy as fuck but it's not it's 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 in the it, it, it's a homage to the campness of the of the you know the, the yeah. 60s this was this was just really poor and and it, it was a horrible horrible mess and partly the reason why i think a lot of people were turned off batman for just so long and it, it took nolan to reignite people to that universe hmm. I think when Stu 
mentioned about the 66 Batman saying that it was camp and silly and it knew what it was. And I think that's what Joel Schumacher was aiming for with this film, was to try and be camp and silly and have this knowing joke. But it just failed miserably. Mm. It was so far off the mark. And at that point of the 90s, we'd been through grunge and like ultra-realism and all this kind of stuff to then try and swing it back to this this campy nonsense that they went with. It was it was such a misfire. It was so far wide of the mark. It was just untrue. And, it, I mean, luckily, you can't be George Clooney and have something like that on you. Well, you can be George Clooney and afford to have something like that on you. CV, where is it killed off Alicia Silverstone's career mm. and the dude who played Robin? Because he's so irrelevant, I can't even remember his fucking name. Um, Chris Chris O'Donnell. Chris O'Donnell, was it maybe? He's like, yeah, Chris um, O'Donnell, yeah. Chris O'Donnell. Like, they just sort of they became a bit of an irrelevancy after the back of it. He's in, he's in NCIS. No. Chris O'Donnell. Which is uh, actually very underrated, okay. I hear. I mean, that's not the the superstar actor that he was going to be. So it it just, it didn't work for anyone. And Joel Schumacher never quite went on to do greatness again after that. Even some of the films that we've unfortunately had to watch for for this very (laughs) podcast have been a bit, a bit shit, sadly. I think what's like the difficulty, this is, and what makes it so annoying is you look at, and I've said this and I'll say it time and time again, the best thing about Batman isn't Batman, it's his villains that he, that he fights. Mm-hmm. Look at what he's got to play with in this film from a from a, from a, from a villain point of view. Yeah. You know, he's got Mr. Freeze, he's got Poison Ivy, he's got Bane, you know, it, it, they're all there. They're all there for it. There's no reason why this, this should have been as shit as it was with the material that they had. It's, it's, a, it's a crime. Really is huge disappointment. Of all the the hot takes and unpopular opinions that we've done, this is by far the most unpopular in my books. <laughs> so we'll move on to the non-film question this week, which is Mr. Stuart Halls. Right. So, in relate, we, we were talking about Marvel and your your hatred of the MCU. <laughs> And I was trying to find an analogy for it, and it's the effect that Stock Aitken and Waterman had on pop music. <laughs> but why do, why does everyone hate it so much? For me, it is because it is just soulless, mindless, nothing. <laughs> like, there's no there's no depth to it. Is that that that's the problem with it? It's all surface level. It's the same reason I hate the Killers. It is <gasps> all. It's all sparkle and nonsense, but zero depth to it. That's my issue with it. There's just nothing there beyond... You scratch the surface, and it's just empty, oh, devoid of heart. Yeah, yeah. He beat, he beat four defenders, and then he hits the post. The killers are dog shit. They're really not. They're, They're really not. awful. I, I was unfortunate enough to see them in Reading, and you could tell they just didn't want to be there, which is fine, because neither did fucking I. <laughs> I was at that. I was at that Reading where they played, and I admit they weren't fantastic live. Um, but there was more to there was more to the killers than meets the eye. I firmly believe. Um, interesting this year because my note on this is pop, but with very little soul. Is what I put <laughs> on my notes, and also um, people don't like Eurobeat. 
these days and a lot of their music is Eurobeat at its core. Um, and it's, it's very, uh, how do I put it? It's incredibly disposable, the music that they made. Like it's because they're not, you get a song now that in 20 years time, people will still be listening to like Uptown Funk for example. Mm-hmm. Now, Uptown Funk is so brilliant, not because of its lyrics or level, but because it's basically 70s music that's been revamped for now. This Eurobeat stuff, from what they did, it, it wasn't even like a good rehashing of like an old music. It was kind of just a little, I don't know how to describe it, just very disposable. Very disposable. Um, and it's so set in that time as well, like you know, like Kylie and Jason Donovan and... and um, Oh God, I can't remember who did uh, Spin Me Right Round. Um, Dead or Alive. Dead or, you know what I mean? These aren't artists now that you associate. Maybe you Kylie a little more in uh, recent memory, but they're, they're artists that you um, associate with the past. And I don't think that, you know, they don't translate that well to nowadays anyway. Um, I know why you like it though, Stu. <laughs> because it's, it's Eurovision music yeah. at the end of the day. It's that style of music, but mm. just perhaps a little bit more successful, um, and that's why you like. It. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. I'm I'm a firm believer. I'll you know I'll slag off um, Fast and the Furious until high heaven, but musically, I find it you know I'm a big hypocrite because I think everybody is entitled to like what they like because it's such a broad you know brush of what you get from music, but um, not for me, Jeff. Exactly, mm. and at, at this time when we we talked about C- first CDs before. But I had the best of Stock Aiken and Waterman next to Nevermind on, on my CD. <laughs> CD right? Just because of the, not alphabetized or anything like that. They were just there. And then there would be Aqua and other, and then Don't Look Back in Anger single. And, but it is soulless and it is nonsense, but it's fun. <laughs> and it's, that's why he puts it, he puts a smile on my face. I mean, not, it all sounds pretty much the same. It's all got that kind of techno Eurobeat thing in the background of all of them. You can, as soon as you hear one of them, you know it's from mm. them. Yeah. Mm. And you went with, with the secondary thing of name you, your best, your favourite stock Aiken and Waterman song. I've got four in and I can't choose between them. So, Andy, you can <laughs> pick your. You must have been scouring YouTube for hours looking for this. Yeah. I, because I've got the list off um, Wikipedia of all the songs, so I went through each of them, and I was like, most of these bands I've never heard of, and the ones I have heard of, no one else would even remember because they're from so long ago. These these songs just haven't left that much of an imprint on time, to be perfectly honest. So there's two songs that I've got. One of them absolutely isn't my favourite, but it's one I wanted to mention. They wrote some songs for WWF back in the day, and Bret Hart sang a song called Never Been a Right Time to Say Goodbye. <laughs> it's fucking atrocious, but I do love it. Um, but the one song that I do think probably is still decent, and I imagine she still does it when she performs it live, and that would be I Should Be So Lucky by Kylie Minogue. Yeah. I'm, I'm, That's fair. I, I don't doubt that she still does it. And in fact, when she did a, a Christmas, she did a Christmas gig on Sky Arts a few years ago, and okay. she kind of ended with that uh, before oh, the cool. encore. So, 
she absolutely still does. <laughs> Matt, what would be your uh, Stock Aitken and Waterman pick? It would have to be um, You Spin Me Round, only because it um, it launched the cover by uh, Dope in 1999, I think it was. Um, which is like an industrial metal version of it, but it's actually it's like <laughs> it's like it's right in that wheelhouse of like Nine Inch Nails and and that kind of electric uh, like Rob Zombie or like White Zombie kind of music, and um, it's a very very fun cover of that song. So I suggest uh, Stu when you have a listen to it before you uh, you go to bed. <laughs> I'm fully aware they've played it in the Gifford before. Oh, of course they have, yeah, of course they have. Yeah, so my um. <laughs> My four that, that couldn't be distinguished were obviously Together Forever by Rick Astley. Not the Rick Astley song that everyone knows, of course. Um, Too Many Broken Hearts. Jay Donovan himself. That Jason. Yeah. Um, the Harder I Try. Brother Beyond. You're looking just baffled <laughs> by this all. But Not a clue. Then there's it. See, if you... if You'd have been in Goldie's car at this in the uh, early two thousands. <laughs> this was what the soundtrack of that them journeys were for, and obviously, um, haven't stopped dancing yet by Pat and Mick. Obviously, yeah. Obviously, <laughs> the Pat in that Pat and Mick being Pat Sharp. Is that your number one? Yeah. Yeah, Pat. Pat and what's he called? It Pat and Mick. And what was the song? Haven't stopped dancing yet. Haven't right. I'm writing it down because we'll put a poll out on the Twitter and you can tell us which one of these songs is the best. <laughs> or tell us which ones that we should be listening to to get an appreciation. Right, we'll move on anyway. So what have you been watching? Matt, have you managed to get much done in your van or since you've got back? So I took all I took a I spent a lot of time putting this like CD case of DVDs together that I thought we'll watch a film like once a night and it'll be great. But after like all the walking that we did and it was like 35,000 step plus days every day. So it was like knackered all the time. We only got around to watching one film and that was the first Harry Potter, <laughs> <laughs> which I pretty much can recite word for word as well uh, with the accents. Um, but you know, what? I really enjoyed it. And um, I've started watching Brooklyn Nine-Nine again from the start they're very easily digestible aren't they and I, I swear like i've not seen the second half of the first season because i'm watching episodes now that i'm like i don't remember this at all <laughs> um so i don't know if like where i was watching it i only had like a few of the episodes for what bizarre reason but the one thing that i watched that i have i hadn't watched before was um how to become a tyrant on netflix so <laughs> it's a six part um six part it's not a mockumentary, but it's a documentary in a comedic style narrated by Peter Dinklage um, that basically pretends to have a handbook on how to become a dictator and a tyrant and talks you through how to do it. And the six episodes are focused on a dictator or a tyrant um, from from world history. So you've got Adolf Hitler, Idi Amin, uh, Kim Jong-il and, and and it just goes on and then talks you through how these dictators did it basically but in a very comedic so it, it's very much and it, it, I think Netflix have this down to a T now it's very much like the history of swear words mm. um, in that it, it's got your narrator it talks you through it and then they'll cut to guests to talk about what they did and how they did it 
It's very, very entertaining, very easily watchable, considering it's about horrible people doing horrible things. It's a very, like, easy watch, believe it or not. Um, I I really recommend it as well, because it's the only half an hour episode, so you can blast it through in a couple of days if you wanted to. Ah, lovely. That sounds right up my street. Stu, what have you been watching? Obviously, the continued adventures on Love Island. And that's still going on. Of course. Um, But I watched season three of Manifest. Now, this is something I've mentioned before on here, that it's got lost vibes about, obviously, a plane disappearing and coming back five years later. Oh, I've seen this advertised. Is it any good? Well, I'm getting there now, because I love I loved the first two series. Excellent. This one, again, very good. So then I'll go on, on the Googles and say, Manifest Season 4, cancelled. And oh. you think, well, this is... Halfway, literally halfway through, they had a six-season plan, and now it's gone. <laughs> and but apparently they've um, they put season one and two on Netflix as a kind of promo for season three, and it, it exploded in America. So and it, it was you know when it says number one in UK, I presume it's the same over there. Um, it was both seasons of that of Manifest one and two were trending. Over there, so there's still hope that someone else will pick it up. And obviously, it's it it doesn't look the best from a, a CG point of view, anyway. So, but with Netflix money, I mean, they could pick it up. But they were talking about an end film kind of situation, just to. to I mean, they, they could easily do it. You could kind of because it's gone from is it sci-fi, is it aliens, is it faith, and all the kind of things that we had with Lost. But now it's up in the air. And will it ever be finished? <laughs> Who knows? So mm. at this point in time, I can't now say you go and watch Manifest because it's halfway through a story, and now it's be- who knows what's going to happen. But yeah, which oh, is shit. annoying. Which is why I don't normally wait. I normally wait until these things are finished for this reason. But I got so engrossed in this four years ago that I couldn't help myself, and now I'm left poisoned in the mind. <laughs> There was a there was a show that was cancelled. Um, wasn't American Gods? There was another one, and I can't for the life of me remember what it was. And I was really disappointed. I remember telling you, Andy, about it. I can't remember what it was now. And th- there was a show as well that me and Sam watched um, ages ago that got cancelled after its first series, and I really enjoyed it. It was like um, uh, it wasn't zombie, but it was um, just a pandemic related show. And at the end of the first series, the blokes ended up like having to look after the kid's mom. And then it like end scene, and then you're going on to like them living in the, this pandemic world where there's an infection or a virus going around, and it just got cut out of nowhere. It was really, really frustrating because I really enjoyed it, and you put your heart and soul into watching these shows, and then they just get taken away from you. It's only about Jericho, yeah. you? No, no, it wasn't that. There was one I watched, um, Last Man on Earth, with Will Fort and Kristen Wiig was in an episode, Jack Black's in an episode, and. Um, it's got it's got a few uh, January Jones who you'd know and Kristen Shaw as well. Really, really funny, excellent series. Candy at the fourth season. It ends on a cliffhanger of all things oh. as well. So it was just so annoying, and it it was when Fox went through a period of time where they cancelled that Lucifer and um, Brooklyn Nine Nine, which then got picked up by NBC. So. Lucifer and Brooklyn Nine-Nine got picked up to continue their story for a little bit longer, but this show didn't. I was absolutely gutted. 
it was it was probably better than those two other shows, but for whatever reason, didn't mm. uh, didn't get that uh, new lease of life, sadly. Uh, so I have been watching the Candyman trilogy in preparation for the new film, which is due out later this year. I don't think you need to know the history of it, but I thought, fuck it, why not? Um, starts off good, but then goes downhill quite quickly, those films, I thought. I also watched the Fear Street trilogy, which is quite enjoyable nonsense with some properly gory shit in there. Like, I don't want to spoil it, but there's one bit, well, there's actually a couple of bits, where you think, oh, they're going to cut away here because what they're about to do is going to be horrendous. And then they don't, and all of a sudden there's an axe in some kid's fucking chest. <laughs> it's really gory, but it's really well done. Um, it's not excellent. It's very much, it feels like it's aimed at teens, but it's an 18 film, so it maybe doesn't quite know what it wants to be. But I did enjoy it nonetheless. Uh, I watched The Forever Purge last night. That was shit. Um, <laughs> I watched uh, Gunpowder Milkshake on Netflix. I love Karen Gillan and I love Lena, Head- uh, Lena Headey. It kind of has John Wick vibes. Like there's moments of levity mixed in with some real kick-ass action as well. So that's on Netflix now. I thoroughly recommend Gunpowder Milkshake. Really enjoyed that one. So we'll move on to our individual questions. It is myself up first. And my question is, what is the funniest moment that you have seen or experienced in a cinema? Matt. So I've got I've got two. Um, one for the reaction of somebody I was with, and that was when I went to go see Insidious with my mum. <laughs> so, um, and I was just laughing at her reaction to the whole thing. Now, she's never been a massive horror film buff at all, in fact. But we had this tradition of seeing Saw every Halloween. Don't know why, but we did. It's not like we listened to Slayer around the Christmas tree or anything. We're like, not that kind of family. (laughs) We just had this like tradition of doing it. And so then we went to go watch Insidious and it just, it just started. It just terrified the living shit out of her. And (laughs) I just, I just could not stop laughing. I just found it absolutely hilarious. Um, The one that made me laugh the most, and I don't know why, I don't know why I found it so funny, but, um, in Four Lions, when they're watching Puffin, when they're playing Puffin Party, and then Wadge Puff walks off, I just found it so <laughs> funny because it was like this whole paradox of like these would-be terrorists that are like planning this really evil thing, chatting in a kids' chat room, and then like Wadge Puff is like pissed off with him, so he storms off. I just couldn't stop laughing; it had me in tears of laughter. I just found it so hilarious. The whole film in general was like a proper ride of emotions and i think because it had such highs and such lows in terms of emotion it just everything was like turned up to 11 um but mm. yeah it puffing party in um in four lines was just absolutely brilliant it's that kind of, it's my kind of humor that is though and I, rightly or wrongly like when something like good happens in my life i'll i'll say like praise allah unironically like mm. i'll just like it's just because i just know mm. that it's like a, con- a semi-controversial thing to say for like a person of of, of my skin tone to say out loud um and i just find that whole the whole humor around that and, and it's, it's like a taboo subject to laugh at made it even funnier um so yeah four lines for me excellent similar to yourself i remember going to see i want to say severed danny dyer film i've got the right one and i just remember it's this really shitty english horror film 
and it was supposed to be the funniest film since Shaun of the Dead, and there was no oh. fucking comedy in it. No <laughs> comedy at all. But there's one scene where someone's arm gets cut off, and they see this fridge, and everyone knows there's going to be an arm in the fridge. That's the rules of horror. Um, and they open this thing, and this arm falls out of this fridge. And there's this girl. I didn't know who she was. I'd never met her. She just happened to be sat next to me. And she screamed, fucking cunt, really loud, <laughs> when this arm fell out of the... And it was just... I just pissed myself with laughter. Like, I had to apologise to her, but it was just completely unnecessary to say. <laughs> it really made me laugh. Um, anyway, sorry. Stu, what's your answer? I mean, there's, there's a moment, and then there's a whole film, and the moment was... We, um, me and my brother went to watch um, Gravity, 3D IMAX, hmm. and we said to mum, said, oh, you need to, because she was a bit of a Clooney, uh, Clooney swooner, but from the ER days, <laughs> obsessed with him, and like she was obsessed with Joe Lando back in the day, and um, so we, we, we said, oh, come on then, experience gravity, it's, it's made in 3, 3D and it's all proper, it's an experience. So we sat down, and obviously the size of the IMAX screen, she'd never seen one before, so she was all properly in awe. And then it comes on, and you know, out with IMAX, you come through the countdown of the numbers towards the screen, and then <laughs> then the 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 logo comes up, and it, it goes towards the top, so it's flying over your head, and she leaned backwards <laughs> like it was coming out of the screen, and it was it was <laughs> such a stupid moment. Do you think? <laughs> <laughs> you got a woman in her late fifties who's never been who's <laughs> been to cinema a lot of times, and, and she was so baffled by an IMAX screen. It was just, it was just one of them had to be there moments. But the other one for for constant laughing was um, first Borat film, and I've probably mentioned it before, but I think going to the fe- going to the pheasant first and having an entire bottle of wine to myself before going to watch a film like that. At that age, mm. and you can being giggly, and then you see the running of the Jew straight away, and you, it, it was just so like downhill from there. But it, I don't know, I actually didn't piss myself physically. <laughs> yeah, and I, I've never laughed at anything so much since. It was just, I think, I think it was Dean and Goldie there for that one as well. But yeah, superb night. Mm. Yeah, I mean, actually, the Borat, the fight scene with the manager in the hotel <laughs> is my answer to this. I, I have never laughed so much in my life <laughs> as I did at that fight scene. It was just unreal. Because you know with Sasha Baron Cohen that he's going to push it. But at no point did I think he was going to have his head buried in his manager's crotch. <laughs> like, you just don't expect it. And it was just unreal. Oh God! Uh, uh, for the for the recent Borat film, I don't know why it's such it's so stupid. But when when he's cutting that bloke's hair to make money, and he goes, "Is this to your satisfaction, sir?" And he show he like puts off the tiniest piece of his hair, and then cuts another tiny piece of his hair and keeps showing him. And the guy's just sat there. Oh my God! It's so funny. Yeah. And the other one that I had uh, the first time I watched the South Park movie mm. when they sung Uncle Fucker, <laughs> because again it just. Like everything we'd seen on South Park, they took it up to the line where they either bleeped out or just wouldn't say fuck or shit. So when Uncle Fucker hit, it was completely against what we'd spent the last God knows how many years watching. So I just completely lost it at that moment. So that was incredible. 
That one I probably don't laugh at as much anymore, but you're the Borat fight. I still laugh at me <laughs> when I see it. Uh, next up is you, please, Joe. So a nice and easy one in the uh, in the age of. Well, so it wasn't even smartphones. It was uh, what were they? Were they? Did they even have a name back in the day? When they were just mobile phones. Yeah, well, color screened mobile phones with. When the ringtone revolution started, and you had you had actual noise rather than just chip tunes, and I heard someone with an actual proper ringtone on the bus last week, <laughs> and I was I was shocked. I hadn't heard that for years. So, did you ever have a film ringtone, or what was the first one you did? Hmm. I um I had a few, believe it or not. I had uh, the the theme from Rocky. The original, like the, the the proper theme, not like Hearts on Fire. Um, I remember having like the Chibi the Bells from The Exorcist, <laughs> um, for a while, a while as well. And then when it got to like the phones were a little bit more advanced, and you can like assign ringtones for actual individual people. Um, I had um the uh, Imperial Death March uh, for one of my ex girlfriends <laughs> when she called. Excellent. I had I had like a shitload of wrestling ones, obviously. So that that was like my go-to would have been like controversially now the Chris Benoit one would have been the one because it's a fucking great song. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, you don't want that one now. Um, I had Rufus Wainwright's version of Hallelujah, which was from Shrek. But um, the ones that I remember mostly would have been from my old. Was it Siemens? I can't remember if it was Siemens or Ericsson's, the flip phone where the, the front would flip down. And you had to type it in yourself with the old polyphonic ones. And I remember having Halloween and the Exorcist ones. I, I don't even know why. I suppose with Halloween, I don't really like the films, but like that score is incredible. Like There's mm-hmm. nothing that touches the Halloween one. And as you say, Tubular Bells, like that's that's probably one of the greatest uses of music in any film ever, mm-hmm. I think. So th- those are mine. Would have been Halloween and The Exorcist would have been my uh, my main go tos way back when. I think with um, with the original ones, when you remember when you, you, you used to be able to send off for codes, and you had you to get them you from could, like yes. magazines, didn't you? Yeah, like yeah. the yeah. back of a magazine, back of a magazine. Yeah, and you put them in yourself. I mean, I I obviously had Mission Impossible and Bond back in them days, <laughs> but I mean that's it. it Doing ringtones was how I taught myself how to use Audacity, which we edit podcasts on. So it was useful in a way. But the one that I had for longest was um, <laughs> You're the Best, <laughs> Joe Esposito from Karate <laughs> Kid. <laughs> it's a great song, to be fair, though, isn't it? So, but when you it got to the stage where you're overhearing it all the time, and I think that's probably why it doesn't exist anymore, really, either. Because <laughs> you just, well, why do you want to hear the same song over and over again? But it was almost like a uh, saying it's an egotistical message saying that you're the best every time a phone goes off at me, maybe. But yeah, yeah, it, it's a great song, so why not? Isn't it mad in this like back then when ringtones were all rage that that would be like some of the things that would be the defining factors on why you would get a phone? Like I remember getting the Nokia thirty three thirty purely because it had animated wallpaper. <laughs> <laughs> You know what I mean? Like stupid stuff like that. The reason why you'd get like uh, a phone. Ridiculous, really, when you think about it. Yeah, it is. Yeah, we've come a, come a long way, baby. Uh, next question is yours, please, Matt. 
So I want to know what is the greatest song sung by an actor in a film that isn't in a musical. So this isn't a song that is a musical, so you're expecting a lot of songs, but there is a song sung and it is the greatest. Andy, take it away. I've got so many answers that I want to give to this. Um, Obvious. uh, No, I'll tell you, I'll just give my actual answer. Then we'll go for honorable mentions after because I don't want to spoil it in case you've got them. So my actual answer, I think, is Monty Python's Always Look on the Bright Side of Life. I think that is such a wonderful film. And you don't really expect a song to come in at the end of that one because there's been nothing throughout the movie. It's not like the meaning of life where every other set piece has got Mm. a song attached to it. So it kind of comes out of nowhere when they're all nailed to the crosses, all obviously about to die. And the religious significance of that scene played against this song of just cheer up, everything will be fine tomorrow (laughs) sort of thing. I think it's brilliant. And I used to have on vinyl now 20 like i think we're on now 100 and something aren't we so we are going back some ways and that was one of the songs on there i remember it's got a swear word in there it's got like shit in there i remember thinking it was so taboo because it had this one swear word in way back when so that's my answer is monty python's always look on the bright side of life Stu, i use a bit of artistic license with this just to get it in because i it is sung by him. She's like the wind. That's why he does sing it in Dirty Dancing. So that's a good point. It's not necessarily sung in the film, but it's sung by him in the film on the soundtrack. And okay. it, it's such a great song, and you, you just don't expect him to have a voice like that <laughs> at all. That's fair. That's fair. I mean, this question was inspired by um, Wild at Heart. Um, <laughs> So, <laughs> if you know if if that will get on anybody's list, then the by all means you can have that. To be fair, um, for me, I I didn't take it quite as seriously from like an actual good song point of view because I'd gone for um any of the songs or any of the performances in Pop Star Never Stop Never Stopping. <laughs> um, maybe it's because I'm watching Brooklyn Nine Nine again, and and because like yeah. Weird Al Weird Al Yankovic features in it. I mean, yeah. the, obviously the correct answer is Yaya Ding Dong, obviously. Yeah. Um, so Will Ferrell, but um, you know, I, you know, we can't mention it on every podcast. Although <laughs> I'd like to. <laughs> what I love about Popstar Never Stop Never Stopping is the best song they cut from the film. Um, I think is it called "Fuck You" or "Fuck Off"? I think. Yeah, yeah. It's fight superb, and they cut that from the film, so it's quite disappointed. Uh, on my honorable mentions list, I also had two Will Ferrells. I've got uh, Anchorman Afternoon Delight. <laughs> Because it comes out of nowhere again, and it's just wonderful, especially when Brick Tamlin starts singing in that really high-pitched um, soprano style. Really, always makes me laugh. That does, and in Step Brothers when he does Porty Valer, yeah. like, again, you don't expect him to have this wonderful singing voice. That that really tickles me. The fucking Catalina wine mixer. <laughs> um, Top Gun, I love it when he does. You lost that loving feeling. Don't know why, I think it's superb. Always wanted to do it, but I can't sing, so it would be awful. I liked the parody of it in Screen 2 when they did I Think I Love You as well, so that was great. Scott Pilgrim versus The World. The Clash of Demon Head is legitimately a great song by Envy uh, Adams, Brie Larson. And what I mentioned the other week was Sonic Death Monkey, which had recently changed its name from the Kathleen Turner Overdrive, singing Let's Get It On. 
which is Jack Black in High Fidelity. That this was before Tenacious D was a thing. Yeah. So you didn't really know that Jack Black was Jack Black, really. So that was a surprisingly but incredibly well-performed song. Mm-hmm. So that was Very all my honourable mentions. Very good. Lovely. So that's the end of the question cast. As I said, stick around after the credits have rolled and we'll be reviewing Pig. Uh, but for next up for the picture part, we are discussing a film called Seeking Justice from 2011. Make sure you check justwatch.com to see where this is available to stream in your neighbourhood. Uh, if you've seen this film or any of the others, please get in contact. Let us know what you think. Cagefightingpod at gmail.com and make sure you've got us on the Twitter at cagefightingpod. And obviously make sure you look out for our poll of your favourite stock caking and watermelon songs, which will be putting out probably tomorrow at this point. Please make sure that you're subscribed and that you're following us on your podcatcher as well, so you don't miss a dang episode. So for this week, Matt, would you like to say goodbye? Take it easy, guys. Look after yourself. Heat stroke is a real thing. Do not play five aside and not drink water like mm. I did yesterday, as I feel terrible. <laughs> Take it easy, guys. Stu, would you like to say goodbye? Just stay cool. It's the easy thing to do. <laughs> Tara. Yeah, it's goodbye from me. And remember, make sure you've got enough tip tops in the freezer. You will need them. <laughs> Welcome back. We are here to give you a quick spoiler-free review of Nick Cage's new film. As I said earlier, we will be doing a full picture part down the line, but we felt that we needed to discuss it because it has gotten its release in some territories around the world, not all of them as yet. So, gents, what did we expect going into this film? Were we trepidatious? Were we excited? What were we expecting? I felt like scorned lover because I've been excited and I've been heartbroken before basically jujitsu had ruined this initially <laughs> for me because we had so much hope for jujitsu and then it ended up being really bad um, it was just um, I, I, I kept away from it as much as possible until it's released because I didn't want to read too much and get overhyped to then be disappointed. Mm, that's fair. Stu, how about yourself? Kept completely away from it from the start. And even just the, uh, hearing the premise of it, uh, I laughed and I thought, this is going to be mental. And it wasn't at all. <laughs> I was <No. laughs> massive, massively wrong. Yeah, I... I saw the trailer because I think, if I remember correctly, it was Ash Dolan sent it me. Um, and I had this kind of worry that it was going to be a John Wick-esque mm. film. Not that Sorry. I don't like John Wick. John Wick. I love John Wick. I don't want to see another John Wick about a pig starring Nick Cage. <laughs> so I was a little bit worried going in. Um, and as you say, we've been here before with Jitsu where... It looked excellent and then ended up absolutely shit in the bed. But then we've also been here with Willy's Wonderland and it ended up being a wonderful film. So mm-hmm. you never quite know what to expect of these things going in. So I think we should just do one thing we liked, one thing we didn't like on this film. 
So don't go too deep into it, but Stu, start us off. Something you liked, something you didn't like about it. How real it seemed. I know that's a bit of a mental thing to say about a, a bloke with a pig in the shack looking like a tramp. But <laughs> it's, it's so grounded. It, it just seems so, for such a ludicrous idea, it was pulled off incredibly well. And it just, mm. it, the pig universe, pigiverse, is fully believable. I don't know how. Yeah, I think that it's, Nick Cage's character obviously plays a hermit who lives in a shack who is a truffle hunter. I think that is actually a thing in the, the wider world. But it's not something you expect to be put to celluloid, is it? Let's be honest. And I think they did a fantastic job showing it. I was really impressed with it. Matt, something good that you uh, you got I, out of it? There was an unbelievable amount of soul in this film. Mm-hmm. Um, some characters have very little screen time, but give off an incredible array of emotions in this film. And it's very... they've they very much make the absolute most of the minutes they're given. Every, nearly all the characters that are involved. It's just got an incredible amount of grit, soul and emotion this film has. Um, and it does it all within 90 minutes, which is, oh, is, yeah. is, is no mean, is no mean feat. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. other films have tried, turned it to two hours, 15 and still not got the same amount out. And I mm. really enjoyed it. It's a tight 90 minutes as well, isn't there? Yeah. Like, there is no fat on this film. It is. And it, it's devastating in parts as well. So one of the things that I think was excellent, I, I think the acting from the three main leads and, like, the supporting cast around it, I feel that Nick Cage managed to bring the best out in everybody that he was on screen with. It felt like everyone was, like, properly on their A game with mm. it. The guy... Alex Wolf yeah. is it, I believe, who was his mm. um, main partner throughout the film. The, the scene where he is talking to the door, without going into spoilers, um, that's heartbreaking. Absolutely heartbreaking scene. And he was delivered with such warmth and despair at the same time. It mm. Properly, like, mixture of feelings going on. I thought it was wonderful. Really, really good acting in this movie. Was there anything that you thought maybe they could have improved or that you just outright didn't like? Yeah, for me, um, I mentioned it in the group chat we we, we have. I think they needed just a little bit of time spent explaining why we're here in a way. Mm. Like maybe it's just because the concept of what they were doing is so alien to us that I didn't think they spent a lot of time kind of just explaining the premise of why the things are happening that are happening. Is this very much a film about the journey, not the destination? Um, I, I, but I just felt I needed a little bit more about why these things are important to the characters, not the pig. I understand the pig, but mm-hmm. some of the other things, why the other things are important to some of the characters that are going on. I just think needed a little bit more. Just to make that, just to take that film to the very next level. Yeah, I suppose there is an element of obviously it's set within the world of high end 
quarter, I can't know what the word is, um, chefs basically, high end yeah. restauranteering. Um, and that's not necessarily a world that's easily accessible to all and sundry. So I suppose there are elements of it that if you don't know them, it might make it a little bit impenetrable. But I think they did a good enough job in making you care about the characters that you can overlook oh, yeah. th- those things. Mm-hmm. Stu, anything that you didn't particularly uh, click with? Similar kind of thing. I just want it to be. I want it more of it. And mm. I, know, I know you said it. It was a tight ninety minutes, which, judging by the budget and stuff I read about it since, you can understand. And there was more filmed, so maybe there's a pig director's cut down the line. Who knows? But. <laughs> I enjoyed it that much. I wanted more of it. And obviously, that's never a bad thing, but it's like clutching at straws to find something bad to say. Mm. I, I completely agree. I wanted more as well. Like, I like a good film. If it comes in between 90 minutes and two hours, that's the sweet spot for me. But I wanted more. I've watched this film three times this week. I really <laughs> fucking enjoyed it. I thought it was wonderful. So, what would you say is your reviews? I mean, I. I said earlier, is it pork scratchings or the finest Parma ham? <laughs> Basically, what is your star rating of this film out of five? What would you say? What would you give it, Stu? Five. No hesitation at all. One of the best films I've seen in the last five years, honestly. Mm. I said this, bringing the, the fourth wall here, when we had a bit of a fancast group chat on our other less successful podcast. Um, <laughs> and I, I mentioned this and everyone laughed. And I went, no, seriously, this is... Nicolas Cage at his best that he's potentially ever been. Mm. It's five stars all round for everyone. It's just it's an, an incredible film. Yeah, Matt, are you going as far as five or? It's four point seven five for me because <laughs> nothing, no, nothing is perfect um, in this world. Sadly, however, it's it it really is excellent. Now, I I love to be crushed by a film. Mm-hmm. I love that gut punch and that feeling of being taken out of my comfort zone because there's very little in life really that does that apart from when something really horrendous happens to you um and i just think that this film hits the nail on the head when it comes to like giving you that hammer blow at the same time as giving you giving you reason to smile and giving you reason to be joyful as well it's it's really delicate, though. I don't know how to. I don't know how. It's impossible to describe it without you seeing it. But it's very delicate in parts as well. And I'm I'm really enjoying this period of Nick Cage's career where he he's now the artist, mm-hmm. Nick Cage. If this was like a professional wrestler, and they have like you know like Jericho has his he's different. You know his Y two his Y two J, and then he's you know all these. This is now the artist Nick Cage period of his career. And I'm 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 all aboard for the ride because I need to pinpoint for myself where he's this started and it might be Colour Out of Space. I'm not mm-hmm. sure when Man if Mandy was before Colour Out of Space or not. Um I think it was after. I think I just um it's just a wonderful film. Don't go into it with the expectations of it's John Wick with a pig because if you love those kind of films and there's absolutely no shame in that you'll be disappointed if you go into it thinking it's more like three or three billboards outside of ebbing missouri Mm. you'll have a lot better a time with it yeah absolutely it's a film about the exploration of humanity and love and loneliness and everything good and everything bad in the world 
Mm-hmm. And I think you're right. It, it's that that feeling of that gut punch, being able to experience that in a safe and sanitary manner. It it really does help. And I just I, I kind of felt bereft, but also enlightened at the end of it. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. there aren't many films that can really give you that inner turmoil of giving you pulling you in both directions. And I felt that this film did. For me, it is a five star film. Like it's six stars in the Tokyo Dome. It's excellent. <laughs> this film is. One of the notes I made, and I don't know if I might have been drunk when I wrote this, but Nick Cage, Oscars, question mark? Is this film, is this performance from Nick Cage, could you see in 12, well, not 12 months' time now, but in a year's time, would it be out of the realms of possibility to get an Oscar nod for this movie? No. I mean, it's what what I sent to you, because... Matt hadn't seen it at that time, so I couldn't put it in the fabled chat. So I sent to you, he said, am I insane? Because <laughs> <laughs> I thought, is this just me being a bit weird again and thinking something's good when it's generally seen to be not be? But I was absolutely stunned. I, I, it came from, I say it came from nowhere, because we have seen him do decent films recently, like Matt said, but absolutely stunning performance. If, the, if he doesn't yeah. even... if he, if he doesn't get nominated, nominated at least, it's an absolute travesty. Mm. Matt, what do you think? Is this is this within the realms of possibility? It's within the realms of possibility, but there's, I mean, I know that you feel a lot differently about the, you know, these awards than, than I do, and I, don't, I, there are a lot more fashionable people out there that will probably be nominated for things that mean this one might not get the exposure that it probably deserves and mm-hmm. and for that reason I, I put you probably won't get you know it's not quite a director dvd i mean presumably it's out in cinemas but you know you can get a you could let's just be blunt about it you can get a 1080p copy of this very easily accessible on the internet mm. for a reason because it's kind of straight to streaming or straight to and is that really the oscar mantra probably not I mean, well, I suppose in the last 12 months, the Oscar mantra has been a very different world to what mm. it was previously. Um, but the, the performance is as good as anything I've seen by any of the Oscar contenders this year, to be perfectly honest. You are right, though, Matt. The Oscars is more than just being a good actor. It's being a good actor and politicking to get that Oscar nomination mm. as well, which Cage doesn't particularly need to do at this point in his life. He's got his Oscar. What does it matter? I'm quite intrigued by the fact that on this film that Nick Cage is the producer of this movie. Okay. So I would really like to know how much input he had into getting this movie to this point because it, it feels very much like it's a labour of love for Cage, this one. Again, mm. like we said with Willy's Wonderland, it's something that he clearly wanted to push through. And you can see Willy's Wonderland and Pig, I imagine, would have faced some hurdles to get to the point where it's going to end up on a cinema screen. Yep. And I think that Nick Cage, especially because he's the only real named actor in this movie, he must have put his balls on the line to try and get it there. And I, I salute that. I think that's a, an admirable thing to put your name as a producer on something like this. Mm. So looking on Ross and Tomatoes, obviously, I know it's still early days and we've not had the worldwide release. But it has got a very good score so far. The audience score with over 100 verified reviews is 82%. Um, but the critical score from 123 reviews is 97%. 
I'm, I'm amazed it's not a hundred. To be perfectly honest, I, I'm just kind of amazed who would say anything negative about this movie. But it's got a very strong showing, so hopefully, once it does hit the cinema screens worldwide, it will make plenty of money, and it's something everyone will see. Would you recommend people go to the cinema, or would you recommend people to stream this movie when it's available, Matt? Um, I've been a massive like um, advocate of going and experiencing these films in their um, in its probably preferred format of the cinema but I, I think you need to sit on your own curtains closed and immerse this film on your own probably at home mm-hmm. and have a little cry no <laughs> no i actually think this is one of the one of the few films i'd actually like to watch in your own comfort setting at home and just absorb it all in whatever makes you comfortable that's fair enough Stu? yeah this will be <laughs> this is the kind of film where you'd get dickheads at the back pissing about because it's a film about a pig, and starring Nick Cage. Yeah. yeah, and they won't know what it is. They'll think it's just doing something for a bit of a laugh, and it'll be completely ruined. Or there'll be a baby in there, or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> if you if you can be guaranteed a decent showing, where you are kind of there's enthusiasts say, or mm. like a, like an independent cinema or something like that, then yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, you you need to be. It's one of them where. Put your phone in the fridge, put it out as far away from you as possible, concentrate on it, and take it all in. It's fucking amazing. Yeah, give it your, your time and your heart, I think, really. I completely agree on your point there about if I would see this at an independent cinema, so somewhere like the Lighthouse, I would 100% go and see it there. If it was at Cineworld or Showcase, probably not, because you do get dickheads in there more often than not. So I completely agree with you there, Stu. Um, yeah, it's for me. It's a it's a streamer, but it's definitely not one to be missed in my eyes. So that's us done all for this week. Then, so thank you very much for joining us, and please go and see Pig when it's available near you. So thanks for your time. Take care. Bye bye.